Welcome to episode 16 of the Worship Drummer podcast. This is John Manna, your host. You are a part of a global group of Christian drummers who are continually striving to put the heart before beat. Why? Because we believe that worship is about the work of your hands and heart. Follow along online at worshipdrummer.com or you can always hit me up on Instagram at worshipdrummer. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Well, what is up, Worship Drummer family? I hope you are all doing well. It is the beginning of August, and I know we took a small break from the podcast. We strive to be a monthly podcast, one episode a month, and things just got a little busy. I'm a lead pastor of a church here in Toronto, and we were embarking on, and we're still in the middle of construction on uh, renovating our whole church. And so it's not an easy task when I'm the guy leading the charge. Um, Nonetheless, that's just a little of what's going on in my personal life, as well as baby number three is due literally in less than a week. So there's been a lot happening behind the scenes, um, but I'm so happy to be back with a fresh episode. I have to admit, this is probably one of my favorite, and it's featuring Steve Gould, a fantastic drummer. And what a great conversation we had. And uh, before we jump into that, I just wanted to share with you some exciting stuff that's still been going on. I know the the podcast isn't the whole thing. There's so much more to Worship Drummer than just the podcast. Um, And I just wanted to highlight a few of those. One thing is YouTube. We've had a crazy uh, last couple of weeks just seeing it explode we are averaging something like 30 new subscribers a day and um, started something new called the Worship Drummer Family Spotlight. And it's been really fun to connect with uh, Abraham Sanchez. Then um, he's out in Anaheim. Then there was Joe Tovar at Free Chapel OC. And we got a few more collaborations coming up, one with uh, a drummer from Willow Creek and a few more. Uh, exciting stuff and there's GoPro footage. What what that actually looks like is we do a full drum gear rundown in their church so you get to see uh, behind the scenes, their setup, their church, all that stuff. And then some playthroughs from a Sunday morning set list with, um, with a good mix where you can hear what's going on in the in-ear and with the click and all that stuff. So um, really trying to bring some value there um, from the family for the family. And um, so you can just go to youtube.com slash worship drummer and you can find our channel, subscribe. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Also, um, on Instagram, we hit another milestone with 50,000 plus followers. And uh, it's just been so fun to lead our community and just to engage with many of you. Uh, The DM has been exploding um, more now than ever before. So thank you to everyone who's even dropped uh, a DM saying, hey, what happened to the podcast? Do you have a new episode coming out? Here's your answer. It's yes. And um, actually, in regards to the podcast, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's been downloaded. We've had episodes downloaded in over 59 countries across the world. Like I'm talking Qatar, um, South Korea, and I was just really like as I'm looking at this I'm like this is incredible and um, it's amazing how the word is spreading and and we're just trying to create value 
Without further ado, let's talk about this episode I had um, in the very beginning. This is episode 16, like we said, uh, but way before the podcast ever started, I remember just dreaming up how this could look like or who I could interview. So I just literally wrote down all the names that came to my mind, whether it was from guys I've seen on YouTube or on Instagram or wherever else. And I was just like, Steve Gould was one of those guys at the top of the list. And it took me 15 plus episodes um, to for me to feel confident enough to approach him to ask him to be a guest and he was just so gracious and um, it was just I, I don't even want to waste time on the introduction just because it was such a good conversation that uh, I think and now we hit the hour mark and we were like all right we got to wrap this up before it just gets too long so um, we got tons of stuff Steve even sent us um, one of his drumming videos with his GoPro on a, a new track that his church recorded and um, we're gonna post that also on our YouTube channel so there's great incentive um, for YouTube at least also to subscribe but also to the podcast you can subscribe many of you probably listen on iTunes and I know that if we haven't published in a certain number of days, it might go dormant. Um, so you might have to reawaken your subscriber status to the podcast. But I promise you, we have some fun and exciting episodes already lined up. And um, we're going to hit the road running. And I have a super exciting announcement that I cannot make on this episode. But God willing, for the next episode, I'll be able to announce some exciting news. So um, without further ado, I'm just so humbled and honored to present to you my conversation with Steve Gould. I'm so happy to have with us on this episode, Steve Gould. Welcome to the Worship Drummer podcast. Thanks, man. Really happy to be here, John. And we're happy to have you. Um, it's been a long time coming personally for me. Uh, I thought, you know what, instead of asking Steve first to be on the podcast, I said, let me record about 15 episodes before I ask, uh, just so there's some credibility uh, if you check me out. But Oh, all right, all right. Um, but um, why don't you just tell us, because maybe not everyone is familiar with your name, um, kind of just give us a brief overview of like your experience drumming, how you started, maybe even an introduction to you, like where you're from first. Yeah. And then just yeah, kind of how you ventured into drumming and then your, uh, your drumming in church and how that all started. Yeah. Okay. Well, I started drumming and I started drumming in church at the same time. That church was the, the reason that I started drumming, at least. It, it was the setting that I had to play music in. Sweet. Um, my dad is a pastor for 40 years. So I grew up, I grew up in a house where my dad was the pastor of the church that I attended. And as a result, you know, I had a little bit of a inside perspective, I guess a lot bit of an inside perspective on how the church works, how church leadership works and what it means to be in ministry in, in that regard. And when I was like, six, six or seven, I wanted to play guitar. We, at that time I lived in Los Angeles, California, where I was born. And this, this would be like 1987 cause I was born in 1980. Right. Nice. So, uh, I'm like seven years old and I, I see the guitar player, uh, you know, every Sunday and I'm like, man, 
I want to play guitar. So I, I approach him and ask him about that. And he says, that's great. Guitar is awesome. You should learn piano first because <laughs> piano, you know, piano, that instrument speaks the language of music across the board so easily that you'll be able to take what you learn in piano and put it onto the guitar very quickly and it'll just be a better foundation. Nice. And I was like, man, that sucks. I don't want to do that. Uh, but I did. I, that's what I did. <laughs> so I was like bummed out that I couldn't jump right into guitar. And I started taking piano lessons from our church, like organist, like the guy that played piano and organ at the church. And um, did that for a couple of years. And then we moved to Minnesota in, in 1990 when I was 10. My dad took a job pastoring a church in Minneapolis. So I arrive in Minneapolis and I'm like, I guess I'm going to keep taking piano lessons because at this point now I've been doing it for a couple of years and it, it was almost like automatic. I didn't, I don't know that I wanted to keep taking piano lessons, but that was just what happened. And the piano player now at our church in Minnesota is teaching me. And I think it's fine. I'm, I'm not like thrilled about it, but whatever. I, I you know, I, I enjoyed music. I, I enjoyed music from an, a super early age. So when I heard myself playing something on the piano that felt like real music, hmm. you know, not just like a scale or an exercise. It moved me, even though it was not, the instrument wasn't like g giving me a ton of inspiration, but it's still, I could feel the music that was in it. And I, and I liked that. So I, I just keep doing piano lessons and stuff. And I do remember about that time. Like one thing I remember about that time, I guess is how I should say that my mom would put the baking timer on the piano and set it to 20 minutes and I would have to practice for 20 minutes. And yeah. I remember staring at that thing, you know, like I got 13 minutes left and I'm, and I look back and it's like, I got 12 and a half minutes left and I look <laughs> back and it's like, I still got 12 minutes and 10 seconds left. You know I mean? Like, like the timer's moving so slow, which I, I guess to me indicates how, um, not excited I was to be doing it. Right. So uh, when I was 12, I guess I was 11, almost 12. My sister started dating uh, the drummer for from the band PFR. I don't know if you knew that band, but like they were big in the 90s. PFR it had rings a, a bell. Did it stand for uh, something? They were called Pray for Rain at first, okay. and then it changed to PFR. PFR. And as far as as far as Christian music is concerned in the United States, everything sounded very traditional, mm -hmm. or it was like Amy Grant or Michael W. Smith. Yeah. Those were like the, the options, right? And PFR was really the first band that did like a Beatles kind of, um, I don't know how you would put that, more classic rock huh. sound. Yeah, yeah. And they were a big deal, at least in the U.S. in the 90s. PFR was a big deal. And when they were first starting, all those dudes were from our church in Minneapolis. Wow. They all went to church that my dad was pastoring just out of happenstance right <laughs> and my sister starts dating the drummer and as an 11 year old kid i'm kind of like you know enamored with my older sister's boyfriend who's a drummer in a band and stuff and we end up at his name was mark mark nash we end up at mark's house one day uh laurie has to use his typewriter get that <laughs> we're talking like 1991 <laughs> my sister my older sister has to use his typewriter for school and I'm like the tag along younger brother because my parents are gone and she's looking after me. And we go over to Mark's house and, and Mark and I are sitting there while Laura uses the typewriter. He's like, hey, man, my, dr my drums are in the basement. You know, he's just like he's being a good 
a good like boyfriend, <laughs> you know, like help the younger brother out, not be bored. You want to go down and see my drums? Um, I was like, yeah, sure. And he showed me just basic beat, like that thing. He showed me that, and I did it, and I lo- I was like, wow, this is super fun. Show me another one. And he, he just he showed me a bunch of beats and like what a fill is. And, and I, I think a lot of the innate musical concepts of like phrasing and time feel. And I had some of that stuff probably just on a natural level, but also from piano lessons. Yeah. So I, I just as, as soon as I touched the drum set, it felt like it became um, yeah, I was able to speak through it, it much more uh, easily you know much less wrangling the thing to try to get it to obey me like i had to do with the piano the the drums i just had this i just had this immediate connection to it and i think mark could even like feel that he ended up afterwards coming around and talking to my parents um you know without me knowing and saying like hey i showed steve the drums he seems he seemed to really like it and my parents ended up getting me a drum set for Christmas that year nice. without, without me even asking. Like I, and, and, and I think that, you know, they, they could see that I really liked it because now after Mark shows me the drums, every Sunday before we would go home from church, like after my dad would preach and stuff, I would try to like stay afterwards with him and then I'd go up to the stage and like jam out on the kit and try to play a few things, you know. And, <laughs> and so my parents started letting me take drum lessons with Mark instead of, uh, piano lessons. That was a big deal. I remember asking my mother, like, "Hey, can I, can I quit piano? <laughs> Mom, is that cool? Like, <laughs> can I quit piano and just do drums instead?" And she was just like, "Yeah, totally, you can." So wow. here I am, you know, like age twelve. Now I've got a drum set in my in my house, which just feels like a dream come true, and I'm playing all the time. And then every Sunday, I'm watching the drummer at church play. And pretty soon now I'm playing for the youth group when we have worship worship team in like seventh grade started to, started to use actual worship like students in the youth group to be on the worship team and I was playing drums every week and then by the time I was fourteen I was playing in our church in the main services nice like on a regular basis um, you know every other week at least and um, this is funny man from a you know church drumming perspective I look back on that I realize. You know, in 1994, in Minnesota, it wasn't necessarily a given that drums were allowed in church. Really, eh? Like, this this is controversial for, um, you know, Lutheran Midwest at that time. And my dad, I, I, I realize now, my dad was using me as a, like, a way to get the drums to be accepted by some of the older demographic in the church that wanted things to be more traditional it's like we don't want drummer we don't want drum set in in the worship service but i guess if if it's the pastor's son i suppose that's cool you know like that <laughs> yeah i was actually being really really shrewd to to kind of like uh, yeah just help the modern music thing the modern worship vibe help that to get integrated into the culture of our church because i was playing drums every week and um at that point it was just like I, I would play whenever I could. So then it became yeah. I'm playing in the jazz band. I'm in the jazz band at school, I'm playing in bands with friends of mine like you know, in the neighborhood, like in our garage, friends from other high schools that I met through youth group. I ended up playing for um 
youth group at other churches sometimes like on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights or like their camps. I would go to events that my church wasn't even doing just because I, I had been asked to go play drums for, through some mutual friends. And by the time I got into college, I was just, that was my thing. I was the, I was a drummer. Everybody knew that. And yeah, I liked, um, skateboarding and I liked video games, but nothing was ever as fun as the drum set was. And, and, uh, Okay, so I'm taking a long time here. Sorry. No, it's, it's good. Forward, it's gold. Fast forward through, through college. Like now I'm like playing a lot of jazz. I'm taking my instrument really, really seriously. I studied for a few years with a guy named Dave King, who's really well known in the um, avant-garde jazz world, like internationally. That, that, uh, he's a big deal. If you, if you haven't heard him, look him up. He's in, he's in a band called The Bad Plus. That's really incredible. He's in another band called Happy Apple. Happy Apple was based out of Minnesota, out of Minneapolis. And so when I was in college, I took some private, not through the school. I went to, I went to a Bible college. Man, I got a degree in theology. Come on. Uh, but like the whole time I was doing music, like, I, like that was going to be my thing in life was still music. I was just going to a Bible school because my dad's a pastor and I'm an evangelical kid and I don't know what else to do. You know what I mean? And I, I guess like, I got the theology degree because I enjoyed the subject matter, yeah. but I was still playing drums at that time while I was in school. I was, I was practicing like three or four hours every day because it was just the only, the only thing that I wanted to, to grow in myself was, was that ability. Hmm. Um, so I was watering it as much as I could, you know, and, and I'm studying with Dave King. Like I said, check him out, man. He's, he's a really forward thinker when it comes to the drum set. Um, I was playing in a lot of, um, now I'm, you know, getting hired in cover bands and graduate high school. I start getting hired as a freelance drummer around the Twin Cities to play jazz at your wedding reception or to play um, in a bar playing cover music or maybe play in a different bar playing original music with some somebody and playing in a coffee shop and wow. playing in a studio sometimes. And now I'm getting invited into studios more. And the whole thing is just like really slowly snowballing and, and all, all along the way, it's like I don't. I don't have to do anything else for work. I can just do this. People are hiring me to play drums. I should say, uh, John, like when I was in high school, I started teaching drum lessons to some of the other kids at our church. Okay, yeah. Again, like the you know my position in the church, like playing drums every Sunday. My dad is the pastor. That means that it was a pretty large church. It means a lot of other people in the church they wouldn't maybe inherently trust me, um, and so they they have their young eight nine year old kid come and take drum lessons from me, yeah. and that became a big part of my income stream too. Like when I was 24, 25 years old, I, I didn't have any like noteworthy gigs. There was no like national touring happening and I'm not playing on any important albums or anything like that. Just making ends meet by playing gigs with whoever in the twin cities would hire me. But then I'm also like teaching a lot of drum lessons. And at the height of that, man, uh, I think I was probably, I had a little over 60 students a week. Wow. At least scheduled. That doesn't mean they all came every week. You know, there's yeah. some, some have to cancel, but I had, I had a ton of students and I've always had a lot of private lessons as like a supplementary income stream, which in my mid twenties when I didn't have any big gigs, that was like a, you know, that was a big deal. Uh, the, I, my, some of my friends who wanted to be professional musicians, but they were unable to teach or uninterested in teaching. Yeah get day jobs and then the day job would be a conflict with with the <laughs> efforts to to get more gigs or to practice you know and and i like being in charge of my own schedule as a teacher was really an important 
link in the chain. Uh, that's cool. So fast forward a few years, like I'm 28 years old now, and and I've kind of worked my way up the totem pole of gigs in the Twin Cities, meaning that I'm not getting offered cover band gigs where we play for four hours uh, in a bar and only get paid 60 bucks. Like I'm not getting those gig offers anymore. Now I'm getting higher level things, doing some traveling. Uh, there was a band called the blenders that was like a four part vocal group that did a, like a Christmas show every year. And it was like a theatrical Christmas show, these four singers and they were great singers, tons of like harmony and stuff. Kind of almost like, like a boys to men kind of a vibe. And, yes. um, I, do their Christmas tour every year and it was just like we played in Wisconsin and North Dakota and Minnesota you know it wasn't like a <laughs> national tour. we were getting at least outside of the Twin Cities um, and I've noticed that in the music industry like you know like I'm describing there's there's these like levels of gig success so to speak so like if I get hired in a D-level gig like a D-list artist yeah. we'll say um, and I and I really kill it then the word gets around and the other D-list artists in town uh, invite me to play with Yeah. Pretty soon, maybe I'm like the most prominent drummer on the D-list, <clears throat> which is like, you know, not much to, to, to celebrate, but it's, it's an accomplishment such that somebody in the C-list will notice. Like, oh, oh so-and-so's dominating. Maybe, maybe they could handle my gig. So I get invited into one C-list gig, and if I kill that, then suddenly now I can, that process repeats. And in the Twin Cities, the the Blenders were kind of like an A-list gig. Hmm. I had, you know, it had taken some years, but I had worked my way into this kind of reputable situation. And it was shortly after that that I got invited into Go Fish. I don't know if you've heard those guys. It's like a... Yeah, that's a while back. Yeah, Christian kids music. Yeah. So, you know, 2009... Uh, 2010, I was invited to take over that gig and be the MD and drummer nice. as they transitioned. I guess I didn't take the gig over because they had never had a live band. It had always been just these three singers and tracks wow. and a bunch of like, you know, cool lighting and cool like stage tricks. And they were yeah. like, we want to up the game. We can actually add a live band. Um, so I was the musical director and drummer for that which was the first like actual national touring thing where we had like a tour bus and we would you know go out for weeks at a time and and the gigs were funny cuz we were playing in in churches and maybe like 2500 people would go to the show and 80% of them were under the age of 10 <laughs> cuz it's kids <laughs> it's kids you know yeah, it was, yeah. it was but i i really learned a lot about ableton at that point wow. um i had been using ableton and reason at my church uh, up up until which I should say that whole time I was still playing in church every weekend. Yeah, uh, and I had you know again that opportunity to kind of like learn from inside that perspective how tracks would work um, hmm. and how to accompany my church's music endeavors with with uh, live stems live assist. And so I get into Go Fish and now I've got like okay I got to put a, a ninety minute show together and and every song is really tracks heavy. There's yeah. a lot of little like slide whistles and car horns and like uh, you know these s sound effects that would be in the tracks in, ad in addition to strings or whatever and then um it, next thing after that i the owl city guy called me because huh. they were all from minnesota as well and i had this reputation in minnesota of being trustworthy the owl city drummer at the time had quit 
and 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 they had a couple of uh, shows that came up suddenly, and they needed somebody last minute, and so they called me with just like a month's notice, and I learned the music and played. Um, we played one gig in Anchorage, Alaska, and one gig in Bangkok, Thailand. Wow. <laughs> that was the those were the first two gigs that I did with Owl City, and they went really well. And and it, I had a lot of fun. Um, they asked me to stay on. I was in that band for two years, and uh, went from there to work for Sarah Bareilles. Yeah, and worked for her for two years. And uh, Sarah is still making a lot of music, but now she does it in the Broadway scene. Really, eh? In New York, yeah. She wrote a musical that has been very successful. And has even started acting in musicals herself. So maybe I will work with Sarah again in the future. I wouldn't be surprised if I did. But for now, she's not really doing like Sarah Bareilles music anymore. She just does her um, her theater stuff. So when that when that shift happened, I, I ended up taking over the drum chair in Ben Rector's band, hmm. who at the time I had not really heard. I'd never heard of him. Sorry, I had heard of him, but I had never checked him out. I'd never yeah. heard his music. And I really enjoyed getting invited into that situation and realizing, oh man, this guy's a, a great artist. I, yeah. I really like his stuff. He's a he, he's a believer, and he's very uh, sincere in his songwriting about you know the kingdom of God and kingdom perspectives. But wow. he's writing songs for the mainstream market. He's not writing worship albums. Yeah. So I appreciated that, um, and I've been I've, I've been fortunate to work with a handful of other artists that are in the Christian industry. Uh, as well as other artists in the, in the mainstream industry. Um, I still play regularly with Ben Rector and uh, whatever else happens. You know, yeah. I, I guess at this, at this point, I um, am the musical director at a, a pretty large church in Phoenix and do you know church work, so to speak, every week. That's my day job. Wow. But then really? I get out. Yeah, yeah. Then, but then I get out and I travel a lot still working for artists who would hire me for gigs. I, I, the the performing thing, you know, if it, if it's if it's playing at a ticketed event, like we're playing in a theater or playing original music, that there's a certain muscle that's used in that situation hmm. that's different than the worship service thing. And wow. because I, you know, came from the church and I I love playing in church, I I never want to stop doing that. But I do really enjoy using the muscle of like original music as well, and so I'm I'm hoping to just maintain this balance, I suppose, like working at the church like I do, and then also um, doing broader music world things. That's so cool. What's the name of the church, if you don't mind me asking? It's called Christ Church of the Valley. Uh, everybody here calls it CCV. CC is uh, Ben Gowell there? Yes, yes. Ben Gowell is my boss. Okay, yeah. And and so Ben um, it went to college in Minnesota at the same time that I did. Okay, we didn't nice. go to the same school, but we both went to like Bible schools in Minneapolis at the same time, and we're both serious musicians. So we met each other pretty okay. pretty quickly. And Sweet. then he lived there for a while um, when he was touring with Paul Balash and, and in Michael W. Smith's band and stuff. Ben was always living in Minnesota. And he and I played together on a handful of records. I played on one of Paul Balash's projects that Ben was producing in Minnesota. And, and then we did a bunch of other miscellaneous studio work. That's and cool. when he when he took the job here in Phoenix, all of us in Minnesota, we were super bummed, man. And like, <laughs> shoot, this is one of the one of our one of everybody's favorite guitar players is moving to the, the desert. I'm like, that's a bummer. <laughs> and then 
<laughs> a couple years later, he invited me to come out and do a worship team masterclass for his community in Phoenix. And I, I do a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I guess I started doing that in, in like 2008, 2009, but I, I do it a lot now, you know, multiple times a year, travel around and do a, a worship team clinic. And love I love it. Yeah. I guess part of my teaching thing from the, from my past and, you know, I just, I really like that setting. Um, Ben invited me to do it at, at CCB and, and I enjoyed it. And then that kind of planted in his mind, the idea of hiring me there. The, the church is huge, man. There's 30,000 people yeah, that attend I've, every week. I've seen some pictures and I'm like, Oh my goodness. It's seven campuses. We have our eighth campus opening in a couple months and it's, it just keeps getting larger and it's, it's a huge undertaking to be honest. I'm very intimidated by it, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> The, the music department side of things, because the church is so large, there's a, a a need, there's like an opportunity for somebody to be almost like a full-time clinician. That's that's in a way what I do. Like wow. I work with the musicians, um, just helping to develop their musical ability, uh, spiritual development and discipleship also. Like I'm kind of like the, the musician's pastor. Pastor, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like all musicians, we have a lot of them. Like if I'm going to put a band together at seven different campuses every weekend, that there's a lot of people that are looking to me as their, you know, representative, their leader, so to speak, in the church. I'm their first line of contact. So, you know, I, it's I, beyond. I, it's not just drums. Then it's the whole gamut. The, so we at our church we do the same set of music at each campus every mm-hmm. weekend. I'm a part of the team that chooses the music, like, uh, you know, the, the set list, the, the way the arrangements are going to feel, um, the, I build the Ableton session nice, or at least, like work with people to do that. And, and we also like, we, we cut a lot of demos. We have a studio at the church and we oftentimes put demos that we record on planning center instead of using, um, you know, like the actual MP3 from an artist or whatever. We do original music often enough that we need to record a demo of it ourselves, or we just do a, a different arrangement yeah. of a song that people know. So, I, you know, I, I have my hand in all of that, uh, and then I'll just play at one of the campuses every weekend and lead the band that I'm with. But then I schedule the musicians at the rest of the wow. campuses. I mean, I have a dude that works with me. There's a, is a team of us, so it's yeah. it's not like I'm handling everything that I just said all on my own. But I'm more or less in charge of it, yeah. and uh, yeah, I, I I enjoy it. But yeah, I guess to answer your question, it's I, I'm involved in everybody's yeah. thing. You know, helping wow. produce the rec- session for the demos, or helping to like I'm scheduling the bass players and I'm scheduling the keyboard players in addition to the drummers, and you know, I just can speak. I can speak most clearly and compellingly about the drum set because of my experience in life. But I mean, I've spent a lot of time around great guitar players and great bass players and I've paid attention. Like I, I I watch and see what they're doing. And some of these bass players that are on our team here at, at, at church, um, there's little dots that I can connect for them that they've never had anybody connect for them. and, And it's helpful. So I'm, you know, super happy to, to do that. That's so cool, man. There's so much that you said that I, I'm trying to remember so we can like pinpoint and dissect. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm on a mile a minute here. No, this is good. My goal is to ask one question and then shut up. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then just let you good speak. Job. <laughs> but um, one thing that really um, stuck out to me was what you said about your dad, how he kind of used you to 
paved the way for drums in the church. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I must have been maybe five years ago or so, because um, it was right around the time when I launched Worship Drummer, like a year or two after. So like 2011, 12, 13, where mm-hmm. I remember hearing about the drum set in the kingdom. Yeah, that was 2012. 2012. So it was about a year after Worship Drummer launched. And like my ears perked up. I'm like, where, where is this happening? I remember looking at my wife. I'm like, can I afford to fly <laughs> to the States for this thing? And she's like, you're busy at church anyway. So yeah, right. Uh, but, but then I remember your name being closely tied to that. And then I think you did it two years in a row. We did it in 2012, and then we did it in 2014. 14. I remember the video for that one was featuring you, like, walking up to the kit, setting it up. Yeah. I was like, yep. I, I want to go, uh, <laughs> just because it fits so closely to what what Worship Drummer is all about. So can you talk to us um, about what led you to, I mean, I don't even know, was it you who spearheaded that with the whole idea? Or I know Risen Drums yeah. was a part of it. Well, yeah, so Risen Drums is from Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, that's where they're based. And I ended up developing a relationship with them just because the owner, Keith, is such a good friend. Yeah. So I've, I've got a long-standing relationship with them. It's the, it's the longest like professional relationship that I have with any of the companies that I endorse. And I just love those guys. And, nice. and yeah, they make, they make great drums. But truthfully, man, I don't really care what kind of drums I'm playing. Like the, <laughs> like the, drums, in, the drums in particular are very um, – moldable like they're very malleable like i can i can kind of make it sound however i want to make it sound yeah as opposed to a symbol which is kind of like a symbol just is what it is if, if if there's sound frequencies in that piece of metal you can't get rid of them regardless of how you hit it like they're just there yeah or if there's sound frequencies that aren't there there's nothing you can do to bring them they're just mm. it, you know the symbols whatever i think about a drum as being the opposite where i can kind of i can tune it differently or i can put a different head on it or put a different microphone or whatever you know yeah um so it, it, it's from that perspective that I'm just like happy to play Risen stuff because the, those guys are such great guys. And I, I just really uh, have a lot of deep friendship with them. Nice. And when the drum set in the kingdom idea came up, it was because I had been doing um, clinics at my own church once per year. Just on my own blog, I would say, hey, I'm going to do a clinic next Saturday. Anybody who wants to come, I'm just going to go for two hours Saturday morning at my church and talk about specifically church drumming. Yeah. And it seemed like there was a need for that because we would, you know, I'd get like 80, 100 people that would come to listen to me just talk about church drumming. And I, and it occurred to me that, man, people haven't been playing drums in church for very long. Like yeah. that started in the late 80s. Yeah. So really, like, <clears throat> I've been doing this as long as anybody's been doing this. I'm not necessarily as old as some of the dudes that have been playing in, in church for a long yeah, time, but yeah. they haven't been playing in church for longer than I've been playing in church. I've been playing in church for 25 years since I first started. And like, man, I guess I have something to say about this. And it seems like a lot of these guys want to hear it. Like people yeah. want to hear, um, they want to hear somebody talk about specifically the church context and what, what drums can mean and and how they can be used in the church context that that seems like it's popular enough that i should maybe try to make this a bigger event than just randomly having 
a clinic at my own church and advertising on my blog. Yeah. So I mentioned right. it. I mentioned it to the Risen guys, and they were like, "This is a great idea. We will underwrite it. We like we'll promote it." Yeah. But I was like the director of the event, so I picked who would be there. It was Nate. The first year it was Nate Robinson, uh, Lecrae's drummer, yeah. Wac, the, the at the time the David Crowder band drummer, myself, and then uh, a dude named Matt Tobias who uh, does studio stuff. He, he now lives in, in Albuquerque he, at the time. Uh, I forget where he was living. Omaha. He was living in Omaha at the time. But, uh, he went to college at the same school that Ben Gallo went to, like in the Twin okay. Cities. So he, cool. he, he kind of knew some of the people from the community. And, and then uh, and we, had a, we had a panel discussion with a bunch of worship leader friends of mine from the Twin Cities. And the first, man, the first event was so fun. It was wow. really, really great. And then... And then in uh, in 2014, the lineup was even more killer, man. Uh, Paul Mayberry Lester, was there. Yeah, Paul Mayberry was there. Travis Nunn, Chris Tomlin's yeah. drummer. Lester Estelle, who was in Pillar for a long time and yeah. has been Kelly Clarkson's guy for a while now and plays with a bunch of people. Um, Scott Williamson, who is a big Nashville session drummer, he played on like Jesus Freak, the DC Talk yes. album, Jesus Freak. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Like Point of Grace and, you know, all these old Christian, like 90s Christian albums. Um, Scott played on Nicole Nordeman's record. And uh, I mean, just Scott is one of my favorite drummers, to be honest, period, nice. of anybody. So, the, I mean, the, the lineup was just insane, man. It was so fun. And at, at both events, I spoke as well. And uh, yeah, that was really, I really enjoyed doing that. We're actually talking about the toying with the idea of doing one next year um 2018 drum set in the kingdom in phoenix since i'm wow. living here now and i think risen drums will probably still be involved but my church here will probably also be involved in some in some way and uh i've been talking with some guys th that i am that i would want to be part of it and they're all interested so i think <clears throat> i think maybe we're gonna make it happen again but. well let me know man yeah i'll talk that, to that, my wife and try to come like I said, the whole idea is just that music in the church is used for such a different purpose. Mm, yeah. You know, that like entertainment, it, entertainment is cool. Like entertainment is valuable. Entertainment is something that society benefits from, especially yeah. like art, art based entertainment. I mean, it really has uh, power and influence in people groups. And that yeah. like we've you know seen that, especially in the 20th century seen that really develop to a potent level where art is affecting, um, you know, political landscapes and mm -hmm. it's affecting, yeah. uh, they're, they're, the, the cultural trends of, of an entire community are ebbing and flowing with the kind of art that's coming out of that community. And, yeah. and when, when art is used just for entertainment's sake in that sense, I don't think that's a bummer. I don't think that's a problem. And I don't, I guess for that reason, I don't write off secular music as being valueless or or problematic like mm. i i just fully embrace the reality that human beings can express themselves and be impacted by music in any setting regardless of whether or not it's the music is centered on the message of the gospel so i guess yeah i, I like i want to say that that really really matters to me and then it helps me recognize what a different thing we're doing when we gather as a church mm, yeah. and we decide to use music in that context, now it's not about entertainment anymore. The, the impactfulness of art though, the fact that art, the fact that art can really pierce you 
in, in a way that logic doesn't. I mean, like, you know, I, I could preach a sermon and you would hear the words and you would use your faculties for reason and rationale and you would, you would learn something from the sermon or maybe you would be impacted. But art can impact you in almost like a more heart-oriented way, yeah. like bypassing your, your reason and your rationale and just kind of touching you straight on the heart level. Yeah. That's that that reality exists both in the secular world and in the church world and i guess like that that's uh that really matters to me so wow how can we how can we as church musicians take the the concepts of art like the language of art and the way art uh the knowledge that art can be very impactful how can we take that and use it for kingdom purposes when we're gathered together in church, knowing that the point of gathering in church is not art. Yeah. The point is Christ or the gospel or the scriptures or whatever it is that we are focusing on in a given week when we gather together, how can we use music to reinforce that? Um, I think that was like the, the gist of the drum set in the kingdom. Wow. Because so good. I'm just, get, just getting really specific and saying like, here's the drum sets role in art in music, but the bigger picture being the, the opportunity for impact. Yeah. I think that's, I think as, as I've gotten older too, that, you know, er, early on my journey with the drum set was like, figure out how to make the instrument do whatever it is that I wanted it to do. Like, you know, gain limb independence, gain technique, gain chops, and use those things to make the drum set say whatever I want it to say. Like, I don't want there to be any hurdle on the instrument that I can't jump over. That was like the first 10 years of my journey. And then since then is the much more interesting and nuanced challenge of determining what I should make the instrument say. Like, if I can make it say anything, then now what should I choose? <laughs> and <laughs> and that suddenly it's a totally different task. And realizing that certain things that I say on the instrument will like wow you yeah. well, almost like a circus circus trick or something right but then other things i say on the instrument will impact you like mm -hmm. move you leave you feeling changed as a person because i mean i i know this sounds grandiose but i, I really believe that music has the has this power to to reach into your emotional being and change it and if I can get on board with that, like as a drummer, if I can figure out the language that this instrument needs to speak in order to impact you, man, it's so much more appealing to me than just wowing you. Wow. Like I, I, I like wow, the, the wow idea feels so superficial when the impact is when that opportunity is there. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I guess like for maybe 10 years or so now I've been just turning all of my efforts as a, as a, as a learner, as somebody who wants to keep growing and getting better at this craft, I'm turning all of my efforts toward the language of impacting people with music and like, how can I do that best? And it was right around the time that I was reaching some conclusions in my own spirit about how to do that with the drum set yeah, um, and how to do it in a church setting that that was when the idea for the drum set in the kingdom really was hitting its its uh, peak and so you know when i when i shared this what i'm telling you with the other guys that i invited to speak at the event they were all like oh man well, you know we're we're in let's do it um yeah it was just it was really a privilege to be uh in the leadership chair of that event and to to 
put that on. And I, I, I'm very thankful that it went down the way it did. Wow. Well, that's amazing, man. And, Thanks. And uh, I hope you do do it next year. And I, <laughs> I hope we do. <laughs> I, I literally will do everything in my power to, to make it out for that. It would be great to have you there, man, especially with the platform that you're on now. I mean, this is, you know, it's just right, right up your alley. Absolutely. Uh, we should figure out a way to partner with that. I'll tell you that the, the biggest, the thing that, the biggest reason that it won't happen is the administrative hurdles. I'm just not good at anything that involves like administrative, uh, you know, to-do list. Yeah. And yeah. It, I was really, really heavily involved with the admin side of the second event that we did in 2014. And it just took it out of me, man. I got I got done with that whole thing. It was like, wow, I'm really glad we did that. And I kind of don't want to do another one ever again, unless <laughs> unless I can find somebody else to run the admin on it. In the meantime, I'm just gonna like play gigs and tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll keep my uh, mind spinning on that one. Yeah, uh, for, for the admin yeah, we'll, side. We'll, uh, I, yeah, but yeah, maybe we can maybe we can partner together on that. I would that would that would be a good idea. I'm I'm just thinking that off the top of my head right now but it seems like a worthwhile thing to pursue oh yeah um the reason why i'm very intrigued about that whole idea is because i almost feel like it's something i'm supposed to do with our platform yeah sure um because the three things that are part of the mission of worship drummer is to equip inspire and encourage and yeah. the encouraging the inspiring it's really easy instagram is a big uh, platform for us for that mm, sure the, the equipping is where it gets a little harder yeah yeah right um so that's why i'm like this kind of thing is right up that alley yeah for sure man um i am gonna springboard off of what you just said and mention my website yes which, which feels super like lame I, I hate i hate the part of having a website that involves me being like like giving a commercial for the website so please well i was gonna yeah. ask you anyways the drum okay. library yeah the, the, the only reason i'm thinking of it now is because that's totally the purpose of it like you, you just mentioned the equipping thing mm -hmm. i i feel like the internet man i wish the internet had been there in the 90s when i was learning how to play the drums because yeah. it's such it's such an equipping tool that mm -hmm. you know like youtube or lessons online or whatever and um for as much time as I've spent playing music and playing music specifically in the church, I just am happy to share with anybody who asks, uh, you know, what I've learned, I guess, like what my opinions are, like yeah. what, you know, what, what my perspective is on a given issue. And the internet almost allows me to share that with somebody who didn't realize that they were asking or, it allows me to share it with someone that I, that I didn't realize cared what I thought. Wow! You know, just like, I mean, like like you, I've I've never met you, and yeah. you're in you're in Toronto, right? Yeah. yeah. And 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 you're you're telling me that I was on your list of people to contact, or, or and, and I mean, like that's very flattering. I didn't realize that you cared, right? And I did a couple of um, drum clinics at churches that they that people taped uh, back in like 2008, 2009, and they ended up on YouTube, and I. I still get correspondence from people, correspondence from people in Australia or wow. in the UK who are saying that they watched this video and it really meant something to them. And I just think, oh gosh, I, I can't believe my words 
uh, you know, or, or my theories or my perspective would have value to someone else. But I suppose given the existence of the internet, it suddenly I'm being connected with people who care about what I think in a way that never was possible when I was just teaching private lessons, you know? Wow. So I just thought, all right, I'm going to put a little bit of effort into bottling up what I think and putting it on a website. And if people care what I think, then they can go to the website and check it out. And obviously it costs a little bit of money to start a website and I hire a, a video editor dude who helps me make the videos look presentable and compelling and professional, you know, instead yeah. of like just I'm whatever. Uh, so I, I charge 25 bucks a month, but then once you get into the site, you just, all the stuff is there and I keep adding more stuff to it and it's, you can watch it again later or, uh, there's like a Q and a thing. A lot of the users will ask me questions every week about just their own context, nothing to do with any of the lessons that I've posted and we can have, uh, correspondence that way that's a little more in-depth than, you know, when people ask me questions on Twitter or whatever. Yeah, and sure. It's, it's, been, it's been a really fun thing for me. I, now that I have this music director position at the church, I don't really have time nor need to keep, to keep doing private lessons. But that, that muscle, the teaching muscle is still there, and I really enjoy using it. So I've kind of been pouring all of my teaching inspiration, so to speak, into this website and um yeah it's great so i guess what i can say about it is that it, it really is just what i think yeah like I, there's there isn't like a this is how you play the drums it's more like <laughs> this this is how i play the drums yeah and in my journey as a musician especially in in the heavy church side of things here's what i've learned about that and uh man a bunch of my worship leader buddies have signed up um on behalf of their church Wow, which I which I cool. totally encourage. You know, like if you want to sign your church up and then give the login information to all the drummers that are at your church, like that's I think that's great because it's just from the angle, like you said, of just I'm just wanting to equip people. Yeah, it's it, it's super. I, I I hope I can convey sincerity with this. It's super humbling to me that anybody would consider my perspective to be equipping for them. Hmm. You know, like that's just that's crazy. That's a crazy thought. Uh, so I'm very honored and I feel very privileged to have a platform where I can say something and people would listen and take, take it into consideration, you know? So if, if the, if if my perspective is something that, that people care about, then that's what the website is for. And it's funny because I'm trying, you know, I have a few like entrepreneurial friends who would, who have, have said a few things like, oh, you should you should do this and you can make more money or you should do this. And, and I like, it's super difficult for me to, <laughs> I, I don't want to do anything with the website other than just like make it good. Like, yeah. I, like I'm just doing what I can to make the website the best that it can be. But any form of advertising for it or any form of like, yeah, just like marketing prowess. I kind of like it, it just rubs me the wrong way. Cause I, I'm not a, I'm not a businessman and I definitely don't want people to think uh, again, coming from the church perspective, I don't want people to think it's about me. Yeah, I'm not, you know, like like I'm trying to make the name of Steve Gould famous. That's not, <laughs> again, like one of the nuanced differences between a ticket holder show that you perform versus a worship service that you participate in and you serve in. You know, like the the latter is about the gospel and the kingdom of God. And I I I, the older I get, the more I value that in, wow. instead of just 
uh, you know, music for music's sake or, or whatever. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's balanced. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to make sure I stay on the right side of the balance. And anytime anybody's like, Hey, here's a way you can make more money on your website. I'm just like, ah, that doesn't feel balanced with kingdom perspective though. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. So much good stuff. Um, just to pivot a little bit, cause I do want to touch on gear. Yeah. Okay. Before we dive full on into that, I have a question for you. Okay. Are you the Steve in Big Fat Snare Drums? Steve's Donut. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> You're um, the Steve. I am. So the dude who start owns that company, his name is Chris Mazzarisi. Yeah. And Chris was my drum tech in Sarah Bareilles' band. Nice. And he had been her drum tech before, so it like I don't know how it always works in the music industry, but I didn't pick my drums tech i got hired in sarah's band and then he like contacted me he's like hey i'm your drum tech and i was like oh, what what i get a drum tech <laughs> like this is awesome because <laughs> i didn't have a drum tech when i was in owl city and i guess i just didn't expect one you know um and he himself is a drummer also and he's a thinker and like when i first started playing for sarah i had these like goat goat toenails like a like brazilian percussion instrument uh -huh. yeah, and yeah. i would i would set them on the snare drum and use them like a muffle and he like right away like he saw me you know like moving them around like because they would slide down the snare drum during the song and i'd push them back up and and, and he was like he, without even asking he went to the hardware store got a magnet like a pretty heavy duty magnet and like ran this hook thing through a corner of one of the goat toenails and that way the magnet would attach to my rack tom, to ah. so the like one of the lugs or the hoop of my rack tom right above my snare drum, and then the goat toenails would just sit there at the top of the snare drum the whole time. And when I was done with the tune, I could pull it off the rack tom and stick it to the hi hat stand, and it would be right there, ready for me to grab it again later. And I was just like, "Dude, good work!" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, I'm kind of an inventor, you know." I'm like, "That's awesome." And he was like, "Well, I was actually thinking about starting a company." based off of like those snare muffles that you use because i've seen other people use those and it's a good idea and what he was talking about was just my own personal like cutouts of drum heads yeah. I had, like when, in the late 2000s i had figured out that cutting the collar off of an ambassador and just using the the flappy skin of the drum head as a muffle was a good way to do like when you're in the studio guys use newspaper all the time as, as a snare snare drum muffling tool but when you're in a live situation, it's it's kind of tacky to put a bunch of sheets of newspaper on the on the drum, and then it gets all shredded, and there's paper everywhere, and <laughs> it's 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 not easy to take it on and off between songs. So I had these cutout drum heads, and one of them was just a normal drum head. I called that the pancake. Yeah. And and then another one had a big hole cut out of the middle, and I called that the donut. And then I had another one that was made out of a T-shirt because the cloth, the cloth material has a different muffling, like it's a different tonality to it than like the drum head. And I called that one the waffle. So I had the pancake and the donut and the waffle. And, you know, as my drum tech, he would hand me the one that I needed between each tune. And, I, you know, I read out a set list. Okay, for this song, I'm going to use the brass snare with the donut. For this song, I'm going to use the walnut snare uh, just wide open. But then the next song, I need you to hand me the waffle to sit on top of the walnut. And, you know, like that was yeah, how we yeah. talked to each other. And so, I, again, like I'm not the dude who thought of that. Like I'm not the dude who invented using a cutout drum head or using newspaper. This is, this is old, like timeless studio drummer stuff. But 
Chris saw the business opportunity of patenting the idea, spending hmm. the spending the money to buy the like machinery needed to make mass you know mass quantities of this stuff, and he's the one who did the hard work of actually starting the company. Yeah. So I mean, more power to him. Big Fast Nerdum is is a huge deal, and so many people have been positively influenced by it. And he's he's launching the company, and I'm like cheering him on. And we're at that time we're still touring. So he shows up to the hotel, you know, and we have like a one-off gig or something somewhere. And he's like, hey, man, are you in your room right now? I'm gonna, I want to come up and give you something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And he comes up and he hands me like his donut version. And he like gives me his like prototype of it. He's like, this is like the donut. And I was like, yeah, awesome. Way to go, man. And he's <laughs> like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it Steve's Donut. Wow. And I was like, I was like fighting back tears, man. Like, really you're gonna name it after me he's like heck yeah it's your idea (laughs) and i was just like whoa dude thank you um frankly i'm i'm happy that he doesn't call it steve gould's donut yeah because again that would be a little weird to always have my whole name attached to you know what i mean like i'd rather be like on the sidelines yeah but yes i am that steve (laughs) (laughs) that's cool i love the backstory man yeah, uh, I do too. It, it makes me really like, um, I don't know, just proud to have worked alongside Chris the way I did in Sarah's band and um, happy to have played a role in the existence of that product, which again is like a really, really great product in its own right. So in yeah. a lot of drummers, you know, a lot of it's, it's helped a lot of drummers get the kind of tone that they're looking for. Love it. Um, so on that note, let's... Um do a quick gear rundown of what you currently play. Okay. Um, so brands, but also sizes, if if you know them offhand. So start yeah. with drums, cymbals, and sticks, and drum heads. Oh, man. that's For drums, it's super tough because it's, it, it's very context-oriented. Okay. All right. So this past weekend, I actually flew to Columbia, South Carolina, and I played jazz at like a private event. Um, with a dude from Minnesota that I've played a lot of jazz with. And so I brought a 14-inch floor tom that I was using as a kick drum. Huh. Like, had it set up sideways. Yeah. And, like, a 14-inch kick drum, okay? And a 10-inch rack tom with a 12-inch rack tom as my floor. And Sweet. that was because I needed something small that I could throw on the plane, right? But then for the cymbals, it was two 22-inch rides, um, Peisty traditional and, uh, like the, the, the one on, on my left was a extra light, which is kind of a rare bird. I, I got it off of eBay a couple years ago, uh, 22 inch Peisty traditional extra light. And then on my right side, just the 22 inch standard light ride, which is like the Steve Jordan symbol. Uh, Pisces sells a lot of those and they're, yeah. they're really, really beautiful. We actually have them at all of our campuses in, in oh, really, uh, eh? at the church. Yeah. The ride is a 22 inch Peisty traditional light ride. And then I'm using 14 inch Pisces traditional hats be and the, the two 22 inch rides and 14 inch hats is like again context like that's a jazz rig like that's you would only ever use that in a jazz setting uh and that so that's why that's why i've got it with me right um same with the sizes of those of those drums yeah and then i show up i fly back to phoenix and i, I go to church and at church we've got 13 inch rack tom 16 inch floor tom 24 inch kick drum wow <laughs> and uh these uh I, we've got the Pisces traditional 22 inch light ride um 
uh, as the ride as a crash. It's a Peister traditional 20-inch light ride. Same symbol, but just a 20-inch version. Yeah. And then 16-inch uh, crash symbols as the hi-hats. Nice. Which you would never use in a jazz setting. Yeah. <laughs> um, big old 6.5 by 14 uh, black polished brass snare drum with die-cast hoops uh, made by Risen. Yeah. Um, the, the kits that we've been getting lately for the church here are uh, the mahogany mm. line that Risen makes, which I, I think the mahogany shells have a great punchy tone to them without a ton of stage volume. That's that's kind of important in a hmm. church setting when yeah. you're not going to use a, a drum shield, you know? So that's what I'm using at church. But then like the, the kit that I had on that jazz gig was maple with wood hoops and again, like Risen drums. But And then I, had a, I actually had a, a 14-inch Ludwig Acrylite snare drum five inches deep, you know, aluminum, uh, from the sixties, like old school drum with this, like these kangaroo skin heads that I found a few <laughs> years ago is a company named Kentwood, uh, Kentville shoot. What? Oh man, I'm going to get their name wrong. Dang. Kentville, I think is what it's called. It's based out of Australia. Nice. This dude makes like calf skin heads, but they're, but they're, they're made out of kangaroo. Kangaroo. And I know it's like kind of exotic, but get, gets that old like jazz tone really spot on where again like i go back to church the next day and i've got a, a remo uh <laughs> coated the cs reverse black dot yeah which is you know like what you're going to use on a rock gig so like i said it's just it's such a specific like context thing when i go play with ben rector i use the peisty masters dark series which i really really like um 22 inch ride 20 inch crash the 16 inch hi-hats uh the 16 inch crashes as hi-hats again um and then uh, if I'm in an outdoor environment where we're playing at like a festival, mm-hmm. some sort of large setting, instead of using the Masters Darks, I'll use the Peisty 602 Modern Essentials. Again, wow. same sizes, but the, the, the different lines have these different levels of brightness and projection. I love it. And uh, if I play outdoors with uh, the traditionals or with the Masters Darks, I end up hitting them too hard because they're not coming back at me in the room you know mm-hmm. like, yeah. it's just like the, the sound goes away as soon as you hit it and, and so i'm trying to get more volume out of it than the symbol actually wants to produce and it's it's you know i i get um it's not helping i'm not helping anybody by hitting the symbol too hard so uh i'm like yeah this is uh, once again me saying i'm i'm using different things for different contexts uh, even with sticks at the jazz gig i'm using a uh, vic firth i've had a relationship with them for a bunch of years now and um I use the SD2 Boleros when mm. I play jazz or when I play anything that's like quiet. Um, the the shape of the tip, the, the stick tip on the cymbal allows for a certain tonality when you play lightly that I don't get from other like a barrel a barrel shape. It's more mm. like the, the small like BB. Yeah. And then the stick is shorter and it's made of maple, so it's lightweight and like so it's it's hard to swing it super heavy because it's short and lightweight. Whereas when I'm playing outdoors on like a rock gig, I use the extreme five A's, which are hickory and they're long and they've got the barrel tip and everything about them like projects. Um, So, you know, once again, it's like a situational thing. But yeah, like my official relationships are with Remo, uh, Vic Firth, Peisty, Risen Drums. I use uh, Alclair in-ear monitors. Again, another um, company from Minneapolis. The owner is a believer and just really loves the church and the kingdom of God and is is a like-minded dude in that sense. And 
I've really enjoyed working with them. Uh, I've got a few few different of their models that he's given me over the years, and and they they each serve a, a purpose that I am happy that I have them for. But again, even context there, you know, like if yeah. I'm working on the Ableton session and mixing things versus if I'm playing a gig in an arena or something, you know. Love it, man. I I love how everything you use has a purpose. Because uh, yeah, I, I'm not that, the techie guy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just put me behind the drums. I'm I just want to play because I love playing. But yeah. I I get this sense from you that everything is intentional and on purpose. Every decision is critical. Man, uh, that makes me feel good that you're saying that because that that is certainly my goal. Yeah, I. That's what I want to be the case. Um, when I was younger, you know, I, I would look at the drum magazines um, or the Guitar Center um, like advertisement that came in the mail every month, and and basically like whatever was the most expensive <laughs> or the most exotic, that was what I wanted. Yeah. And you know, you ask yourself like, why? Why do you want the thing that's most expensive? It's like, well, I've just, I mean, I, I live in a culture where I've been trained to think that that's the best yes but why like what makes it the best like i i don't know that's the that's the honest truth like i don't yeah. know why are you asking me such deep questions let's just let me let me buy the most expensive symbol well then i played drums for a long time in a lot of different situations and i realized that this this symbol speaks a certain way and i'm not trying to speak that way right now like in this musical context i kind of want a symbol that speaks this way point being like i develop enough experience to have like a target in mind for what I want the thing to sound like. Hmm. And and then when I find an instrument that sounds that way, yeah. that's what I'm going to use. Hmm. Right? And so like that was my relationship with Pisces. Like I, I had all these Zildjian symbols when I was in jazz game and, and doing a lot of that in my early twenties and, you know, kind of like popular, uh, expensive K customs and stuff. And, and I liked them, but then I heard the Pisces traditionals for the first time and it was like, oh, this is what I want a symbol to sound like. I don't even care which one is more expensive now. It's like this is yes. what I want. To, this is this this and same with snare drums. When you're in the studio, especially, there's you know, a song takes a a, a particular shape. It kind of has an attitude to it, right? Songs have yeah. attitudes. I feel like, and when the song has this kind of attitude, you want the snare drum that also has that attitude, so that they can reinforce each other. And man, this snare drum has the attitude that I need right now. I don't care how much it costs, what the, what the brand is, like whether or not it's cool. Like it's, it's the (laughs) attitude that I need. And, and it's, I guess it's from that perspective that I'm saying like, yes, at this point, everything I own, everything that I choose to use is based on a need that I already have found is there. And I'm choosing to use the thing because it's meeting the need, not just because it's, you know, cool or trendy or expensive or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, one more question about gear and then we'll move on to, uh, I have two more questions after that that okay. I want to ask. Okay. Um, you mentioned how drums are more versatile in terms of like you could tune them, change the heads, get, get different sounds, but the symbol is what it is. Yeah. If a church is looking to spend or upgrade their sound for their drums, the, I say sound because it might not be the kit. It might be the symbols. Uh, what, yep, what would probably. your, what would your, um, I guess, how would you approach that decision? Because 
in in what you said, I almost would think, well, you could pl have more play with the sound that your drums are producing, but if your cymbals are not sounding good or are too bright for the space and the sound you're going for, like, h how would you gauge that decision? Cymbals, kit, or, oh, you need everything brand new? Um, well... That's I love that question. My initial re answer, my instinct is to say symbols. Symbols are are, I think the most important part of the way a, a drum set sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, they just they do they carry they do a lot of the hard work like the, the grunt work on forming the way the instrument sounds as a whole. Whereas the drums, you know, a lot of the work to crafting the way a drum sound, the way a drum sounds can can be done from the soundboard with EQing. Or again, with like a big fat snare drum muffle or whatever. But yeah. the symbol, the symbol, just it, like you said, uh, you pointed out that I point that I had mentioned that the symbol is what it is, and you brought that up again, and that's that's I think why the symbol matters so much. Hmm. Um, and in churches, man, the 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 audio landscape is you know it's not conducive to high stage volume. You yeah. can't produce a bunch of natural noise. That's why we're always putting drum shields around the drum sets. I, when I first arrived at this church here in Phoenix, we used drum shields at every campus except for the large one. We have this one kind of main large campus and all these smaller campuses. And at all the small campuses, there were drum shields. And I, my first instinct was like, we got we to nix the drum shields. Drum shields are a bummer for, for a handful of reasons. But the main one is that they teach the drummer to not be careful. They mm. teach the drummer that there's a, that there's a stopgap for when they play too hard. So I can just kind of let myself play too hard and, and the shield will fix it. And that's not true. That's not how, well, first of all, the shield doesn't really fix it. It just creates different problems. Second of all, you'll, you're never going to grow as a musician if that's your attitude. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off here and take the shield away. But I see that you guys have these K-Custom hybrids at all your campuses. And that's not going to help anything either. If like I'm not I'm not equipping the drummer to succeed when I take the shield away, but leave those K custom hybrids because those are pretty bright symbols. Huh. They, I don't think they sound bad, but they're they're not made for low volume environments. So I put those Pisces traditionals in in all of the campuses uh, because I love the way those symbols sound. A and because they are very quiet. Um, there's a way the, the the weight of the symbol, the thickness, and the and the hammering. Especially in the in the Pisces traditionals, they just are almost completely void of the high pitched, hmm. like piercing, unpleasant sound that cymbals can make. Um, the result is that the dome of the cymbal, like the bell, doesn't have that like Stuart Copeland classic like pierce like '80s arena rock <laughs> bell sound. But you don't want that in church anyway. Yeah. So anyhow, um, that I can tell you just in real life experience, my first instinct when I came to this church in Phoenix two years ago was to go to all the campuses, put different symbols in place that are low volume, dark tonal presence and mm. take the drum shield down. Um, I'll follow up by saying that I also really believe in having the, the importance of having really well functioning hardware. Yeah. So kick drum pedals and hi-hat pedals and snare stands that aren't wobbly and easy to adjust and all, like that stuff matters. I almost think the drums are the least important. <laughs> like, like if you're going to upgrade your church's rig, man, get some nice cymbals, get some really nice hardware. And then if you still have money left over, get some nice drums, but like the kick and toms don't really matter. Just get a nice snare drum. I mean, it's, it's really yeah. like, yeah. that's, that's how I think. 
you know, it's I'm not a good um, endorsed artist for Risen by saying that the drums <laughs> don't really matter, but it's it's the truth, man. <laughs> no, I appreciate the honesty, and because uh, I think there are churches out there that wonder, like, oh, what do we do, right? And a sure. lot of a lot of churches or questions that I I get. Um, are like, hey, we only have this much to spend. What what do we do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's good to to just hear from a different perspective on uh, how you would do it, which is really cool. Okay, two questions left. Um, this one is not a real question, but if there was a question you'd want me to ask you, what would it be? <laughs> um, I I want you to ask me. <laughs> how often I listen to music okay, and so, how many different, and how many different kinds of music I listen to. All right. So answer that question. Cause I just <laughs> asked it. Um, I listen to music all the time, man. And I, my perspective on that is very, um, I guess it's very similar to, to why I read the Bible. Uh, hmm. when I was younger, I would read something in the Bible and I would think to myself, like, what, what does this mean? What is this supposed to teach me? And, and I, and I wouldn't have an immediate answer like in the moment when I read it yeah. and I'd be frustrated like, ah, this isn't teaching me anything yet. Right. And the yet is the key part because what happens is like two weeks later, I have an experience in my, you know, in my day and this passage that I read comes to mind because it's totally related to the experience and it helps me to see, it helps me to see the experience from a different angle than if I would have not re- ever read that passage. Yeah, it, help, it helps me to see the experience, I think, from a kingdom perspective as opposed to just a self perspective, right? And then it makes me glad that I read the passage. But I didn't know that I was going to have that experience when I first read it. Hmm. I just read it. It's like I just expose myself to it as often as I can, not knowing what life is going to come, like what, what life is going to bring me. And then when something shows up, I'm like, oh man, I'm really glad that I read that stuff. Okay, music is the same way, dude. Like, I, I have these moments of inspiration all the time, whether it's in a gig or in a studio or playing a worship service, and I can trace the inspiration for why for why I would want to play something a certain way to something that I listened to recently, wow, or something that I listened to a year. But I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't have the idea to play that if I had never listened to that thing. Yeah. So I'm basically just trying to soak myself in as much music as possible because I never know what kind of musical situation I'm going to find myself in, but I want to be ready. I, I want to have some perspective on how to approach that situation. I want to have some fuel tank to draw inspiration from. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, I'm listening to music constantly. New music, records that just came out, records from the 60s and the 50s, uh, classics, um, and popular music, but also like underground and off the beaten path stuff. Hmm. I'm listening to avant-garde jazz and you know British electronica and modern South American like classical music and reggae and country and wow. hip hop and whatever. Man, like I'm listening to everything that I can get my hands on and. Um, like as I've gotten older, I've found that appetite only growing. Really, both for the scriptures and for music. Like it's it, like I just want to learn, and I would 
I am constantly shocked at how little, uh, how little time musicians spend listening to music, Hmm. like the the musicians that I, or, or how, how narrow the music is that they listen to. Do you have like, a stat on that? I'm sure you must. I don't. I don't have any stats. I just I just observe it. I'm like, oh, you've never. You're a worship leader. I I, mean, I get it. You're a worship leader, but you've only ever listened to other worship artists. You've never listened to Peter Gabriel, dude. You should listen to Peter Gabriel because he's pretty rad, and there's a lot of crossover in what he was doing to what modern worship music is. I have a, a funny story because growing up, I was pretty sheltered musically mm-hmm. um, my parents weren't big into it at all but somehow I I grasped the, the the music bug and my parents I begged my mom to subscribe me to like the in Hosanna music they were like sending cassettes once once a month in the mail yeah and it was yeah. like a, the first subscription service I've ever had for music um, and I would be going to high school with my Walkman, listening to those songs. Mm-hmm. And this uh, one summer, there was a, a church downtown. I grew up in Montreal, Quebec. Yep. Um, so there was a church downtown that was doing like this music thing. And there was like a drum part of it. And I knew the guy who was going to teach it, uh, who's actually a pastor today there in Montreal. And so I signed up. But the there were only two drummers there, this other guy and myself that showed up for the drum part. And um, the one thing I remember him telling me was, well, you got to start listening to secular music. And I was like, (laughs) what? And I didn't even know where to start. So he's like, Carter Beaufort, Dave Matthews Band, uh, Fred Hammond, which was, I think, Pages of Life 1 and 2, the double disc, and... He listed off a few other uh, Sting and the Police, and this yeah, was all man. like I had no idea. So I went to HMV, my local music shop downtown, and I, I just spent like fifty bucks. <laughs> I was like, I just Good won't. You. Tell, I won't tell my parents. But I remember. Oh, bro. <laughs> uh, let me stop you there and just say when when I was in high school, I had like an extensive collection of CDs that I kept like. Like I was super disciplined in keeping them hidden from my parents. Like, like I was, I was very conniving and not malicious, but just like it was, it was important that my parents not find out yes. how many Pearl Jam albums I had. <laughs> and I, like, I just had to keep them hidden, man. That's part of the deal. And uh, yeah, that's it's true. And as I listened, I remember I didn't even like uh, what was the album under? I think it was under the table. And yeah, dreaming. dreaming. Yeah. Yes. And so I, I was like, "This is weird music," because <laughs> <laughs> it was so foreign to me. And I, it took me about three weeks. I gave it time. I'm like, "This guy knows what he's talking about," so I'm going to listen. And I, something unlocked in me, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah. C- Carter Beaufort is the man. Fred is Hammond. Marvin McQuitty, I was like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. And my like my mind just exploded from that day on. Yep. Uh, just to back up what you said about listening, uh, because I was only ever exposed to worship music at, until that point. Um, and then yeah. my musical language, like, and I remember I, I would be playing stuff 
and and then something Carter Bulford did, and I I bought his uh, VHS under the table and drumming, and <laughs> which is the cheesiest name. <laughs> I know, uh, but like some of the hi hat triplet patterns he did, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I can kind of throw this here, and otherwise I would have never known about exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. There's uh, a friend of mine that I used to play a lot of music with the jazz guy actually that I played with this last week and I was telling you about, he, he loves, he loves the Lord, man. He's, he's a committed Christian. And we were talking when I was young, when I was just getting out of college, we were talking about what a just like corrupt and terrible dude Miles Davis was Hmm. like as a, as a person. Yeah. And if that, is it okay to listen to his music given what a like kind of like defiled life he led? Hmm. And my buddy Jason was like, well, like music is music because God made it so, not because Miles made it so. Wow. So we can, we can listen to it because it's, it's got God's fingerprints on it as much as it has Miles. But also consider um, Daniel, who in the service of the king of Babylon, or you know, when yeah. Israel got taken over, Daniel gets brought in and becomes... Uh, like, like pretty high up in the, in the, in the country. Yeah. And you don't get that way without learning the, like it it says that Daniel studied the literature of the Babylonians. Yeah. Right. And he just, he chose along with the other Israeli Israelite men to not eat the food that they, that God's law prohibited them from eating. Yeah. But it doesn't say that he said, and I also won't read your literature because the people who wrote it broke God's law in their lives while they were writing the literature. I mean, like, apparently, Daniel would have known the literature upside down and sideways. Mm-hmm. And that's how he got into the position of influence that he got to. Yeah. And, and my buddy Jason used that rationale and was just like, man, if you feel like your life is being called in the direction of music, you should study the literature of music. You wow. should study it. And it will give you uh, a position of influence. Hmm. And, and, and then you can decide whether or not you're going to use your position of influence for righteousness or for your own gain, if you're going to break God's law or not. But there's, there's, there's no law that says you can't study the literature, man. which I was kind of like, oh, man. That, yeah, I've taken, that, I've taken that with me ever since. Yeah, no, that's deep. That's a deep thought. Yeah. So cool. Uh, last question that I want to ask you is more about the heart of what we do. Okay. Um, our motto at Worship Drummer is putting the heart before beat. Mm-hmm. And so my question to you is like, what is one piece of advice that you want to give to the Worship Drummer family? Like like a heart piece when we approach our drum set every every weekend or every time we get yeah. to play. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to avoid the temptation to be like super Christian guy. <laughs> and instead I want to, I want to address this aspect of the heart because, because this matters to me a lot. Um, playing the drums is really fun. It's very, uh, exhilarating. Mm-hmm. And, I feel really lucky to be able to do it. Um, especially when, when I play music in front of other people and I see, I see the way that they are 
being affected by the music, like the positive impact that it's having on them, hmm. being part of the delivery system for that makes me feel very lucky, makes me feel very grateful. And I guess I, I, I would want to encourage anybody who plays music, whether it's the drums or the bass or whatever, to like lean into that, lean into the privilege that it is to play music, to be entrusted to like in this room, there's, you know, a thousand people or 2000 people. And I'm the one that gets to hold the drumsticks. And like, that is a privilege. That is, yeah. that is a deep, that is a deep honor that I intend to enjoy and steward well and not take for granted. Yeah. And week after week after week, is is the precise situation where I'm tempted to start taking it for granted. Yeah. Like ah, got a got a church tomorrow again. We got a rehearsal again. We're gonna play this song again, and it can lead my heart down this path of like not enjoying it. And it's so enjoyable. Yeah. Like why why would I allow myself to go into this place of being like annoyed that I have to play music? People spend their whole lives like trying to get enough money working jobs that they hate to, to, to then buy themselves the kind of experience True. that musicians have on a regular basis. Yeah. Like, like it's bungee jumping. Like what is bungee jumping? It's, it's you're, you're like looking for this thrill, right? Yeah. And the thrill of playing music, playing it well, I, I, it feels so potent to me that I just, I, I want to keep, I don't want to ever take it for granted and I want to encourage anybody else who plays music to really pursue how enjoyable music is and treat it that way. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Steve Gould. I pray that it was as much a blessing to you as it was for me. Um, I just so appreciate his heart, his intentionality and his professionalism. Uh, what a, what a star in Steve Gould, and uh, what a blessing to the church and to have him here on the podcast. Again, thanks so much for what you do. We exist as a digital resource to encourage, to equip, and inspire you, the local church drummer, uh, wherever you might be in the world. So I just pray that you were encouraged by hearing from Steve on this episode. As always, I encourage you in iTunes to uh, just subscribe so you can never miss an episode again it's free and uh, as well if you would love uh, if you would like I would love that you would just leave a rating and a review and um, I just it would mean the world to me why because it just helps um, bring awareness to others it um, it just helps with uh, people finding us in iTunes so thanks again so much and as always keep putting the heart before beat <laughs>